Welcome to the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. I'm your host, Jan Gibbons, and I'm joined by Bob Gibbons, Riata Commercial Realties Broker. I have a personal story today. Gather around, children. Yay. Story time. <laughs> I had to go to my primary care physician's office this week for some lab work, just normal routine testing. And I had not been to the doctor since COVID started. And the safety precautions I took were amazing, scary, frightening. I'm not sure which word I would use, but I went into the office where I normally go. And immediately the receptionist said, are you here to see the doctor or lab work? And I said, lab work. And she said, please exit this building, go down the hall, go down the sidewalk and enter into another suite. And so I did that. And when I went to the other suite, there was a nice bouncer there in scrubs meeting me. Why are you here? And I told him, and he said, okay, please wait out here, which was outside the building. And there were several other people out there, all masked, like I was. So he finally came and got me, brought me in, and said, please remove your mask and gloves and put this mask and gloves on. They made you throw them away. Throw them away. Or you can put, recycle them in your purse if you'd rather, but take them off and put theirs on. I then had to fill out some paperwork in a chair he assigned to me because it's like every other chair. I filled it out. Then he told me to go see the lady at the front. I did that. As soon as I did that, he got a can of Lysol and went and sprayed down the chair where I'd been sitting. (laughs) (laughs) What had you been doing there? (laughs) Right? It fumigated the whole room. Every time someone got up from a chair, it got fumigated, which was really amazing. But at the same time, I think I'm choking inside this mask with all this Lysol in this room. But anyway, the precautions they took were amazing. Uh, Wearing gloves, doing this, doing that, going in here, go through this door, sit in chair number one, you'll go down here. Nothing was left to your imagination. Stand here. Wait here. Do this. And it took much longer, I assume. Um, Probably a little bit longer, but I'm telling you, they were very efficient. This was not their first rodeo. They have been doing this for a while. I was really quite impressed at what an efficient machine it was. It was just something I'd never experienced They'd really before. thought through they had the process. Every step. And someone was assigned for each task. You were not left on your own. So why are you telling us this story? Because I'm calling it the new normal. Everywhere I go, it's a little bit different. If I go into a store, if I go into a restaurant, if I go into someone's building, their office, if I go to see the doctor, Everyone has a different set of rules, and depending on what your particular county issued that day is what you have to go by and that business owner. And so what I've been wondering is, what's the new normal going to look like for offices? That's what this week's show. So this week's episode is entitled, What Will Returning to the Office Look Like? In today's part one episode, I'd like you to flesh that out a bit more for us, Bob. Uh, what part? <laughs> flesh out what part? <laughs> what will it look like returning to the office or what does part one mean? <laughs> I think they're one and the same, but you go. <laughs> well, given your story uh, at the beginning in the intro, you know, that sort of is, is the setup. So. 
this week we're going to just talk about sort of high level what some of the going back to the office options are and what that might look like. And next week we're going to talk to a couple of experts who've they're very they're process people and they're really thinking through exactly how to set up the office uh, in more detail on how to make sure people. Uh, are safe, but can still operate in the office, et cetera. And, and so just like your doctor's office had thought through all the processes and how people come and go and all that, next week's episode, we'll get into more details about that kind of thing. Uh, so we'll see you next week for that. But this week, you know, what is going back to the office going to look like? And I guess in the big picture, the first thing I would say is that uh, one size does not fit all. Uh, you're not going to see the same thing for everybody. So, um, you know, when, for example, we have clients who have decided not to have an office and they're going to have a distributed workforce where everybody works from home. Uh, we have other clients who have decided that they're going to keep an office and you were going to say something. (laughs) (laughs) I I get the benefit of seeing a face. (laughs) You're not following the script. Okay. Well, Well, we were first just going to flesh out what all the options were and then talk about what we're seeing our clients doing. Right. You're not going in order. Well, aren't those one (laughs) of the same thing? No, no, because uh, there's so many more options than we're actually seeing. Well, that's kind of what we wanted to flesh out. Okay. So give me a couple more. Well, I think one of the first options is ain't nobody done nothing. What do you mean? There is an option that people have just been going to work the entire time, taking no precautions, just business as usual. Sure. That's definitely one option. Yeah, absolutely. But and and if you have an office where everybody has an individual office and they're, you know, ten or twelve feet apart and they're separated by a wall, you know, that is a little more um possible. Even though they have an air conditioning system that circulates everything throughout the space. So eventually, everything's mixed up anyway, regardless of how far you're sitting away from each other. Well, you can get a HEPA filter and other things. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, Some other people are doing, uh, going to the office, but they're splitting schedules. So they're letting some people come some days of the week, others come other days of the week. Um, Of course, we talked about the work from home thing. Um, You know, most... Some people want to go to the office just for the meetings with clients. I had a client call me yesterday, and she's part of a large financial services firm. They won't let her in the office. They're based in New York, and they're making all their decisions sort of based on what's happening in New York. And initially, she said, well, I'm not going to be able to get into the office until July 15th. Now she's told me she's not allowed to get back into the office until the end of the year at the earliest. And yet she's still having to pay her rent. She has to pay her company sub rent because of her practice. And yet she can't use it. And so she's like, I need a place where I can at least meet clients in person. And so she's basically saying, I'm going to have to go out and rent a second office, a redundant office, just to be able to do that. It's kind of crazy. Well, some of my girlfriends say they're doing in their offices, they're on a team of four or five, and one of them will man their team station at the office one day a week. So Susie works Monday, um, Linda works Tuesday, that kind of thing. Everyone else is working from home, but there actually is one person from each team in the office, which there again meets the social distancing parameters and that kind of thing. Yeah. Well, and I have a couple of clients who have 
just signed leases. Their new space is under construction right now. So they're working from home during this. In fact, they decided to work from home during construction before COVID hit. And so it was kind of fortuitous that they made that decision. So they gave up their old office, moved all their stuff into storage. Everybody's working from home. COVID hits. So now they're working from home, waiting for this new space to be built out. And as soon as it's finished, they have to now decide what they're going to do. I, I was talking to them yesterday afternoon and I was like, so what are your plans? And she's like, I don't know. We, In fact, I told her we were going to be doing this podcast uh, today and, and then the one next week. And she's like, send me links to that. We need to hear that. We need to know what our options are and what to what to do. And so people are really struggling with, you know, what do I do to keep my employees safe, to keep my uh, clients safe, et cetera. So what are you seeing our clients do? We've already kind of bridged that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I said, some are completely going home um, and just working from home. Um, you know, some are actually not our client, but some somebody I know, uh, they had an office and then everybody was sort of polled uh, by the owner. What do you want to do? And everybody said, I want to work from home. Um, the owner actually rented a, or bought a, an RV and he's just driving around the country <laughs> during this time. Everybody else is working from home. One person wanted to continue working from the office. And so that person has access to a co-working space and can go in. Um, so that's one op option. So that's kind of the hybrid, really. I mean, the hybrid is everybody do what you want, but how do you get the opportunity or the sense that you're really belonging to something when you don't see anybody every day? Uh -huh. You're on your own. Yeah, you can Zoom, you can Skype, you can go to meeting, but you just don't feel like you're still part of that same water cooler talk. Yeah. I mean, if you call somebody up on a Zoom call or whatever, and you're just like, so how was your weekend? What'd you see? What'd you watch? What'd you do? They're going to think you're nuts. It's just not natural. Whereas right. if you're bumping into somebody walking mm -hmm. by, it is natural. And that has an impact on relationships, I think. So your ability to work together and help each other. And Okay. So as people are staying home, what's happening to their space? Uh, sitting there and they're having to pay rent. And options for that would be? Well, I mean, like we've talked about in a past episode, uh, subleasing. So s some are just letting the leases expire if they're expiring soon. Others are um, putting their space on the sublease market. So we have uh, several subleases now. Uh, we only had one sublease available prior to COVID starting. And uh, and in fact, we it looks like we're finally getting rid of that space. Um so we're kind of lucky in that the landlord found a tenant for that space, but they wanted to do a direct lease for a longer term than what um, that we had left on our lease. So the landlord's actually cutting the deal with that new company, and they're signing a termination uh, agreement with our client, which includes a termination fee. They're not just getting to walk away for free. But um, but that's a that's really nice to see in this market because there's just not any demand for office space right now. Uh, How are you seeing most, and I know that you haven't gotten to complete fruition of uh, inking a, a sublease yet, but what? Do you, how are you seeing most landlords treat space being put back up on the market for sublet? 
You know, that that's a little hard to tell because whenever we have a sublease uh, listing, one of our clients decides they're going to try and sublease their space. I always call the landlord and let them know sure. just in case they find a tenant that wants the space, kind of like the one that I was just mentioning. Well, and also and, for transparency. Uh, well, yeah, because you're right. They have to consent to the sublease whenever that happens. Mm-hmm. So we don't want to surprise them and say, hey, we, we've got a sublease. Sign it, sign it, sign it, sign it. You know, that, that, that doesn't work. Most leases give landlords 30 days to, to approve a sublease. So we want to make sure they're aware of what's going on all along. So we'll tell them up front. I'll send them a copy of the, the sublease flyer. flyer, marketing flyer. And uh, so we tell them all that. And then as we actually get prospects that look real, we'll start trickling information to that landlord over time to make sure, all right, it, this is looking pretty good. This is the kind of company it is kind of feeling them out along the way and then say, all right, look, we're, we've agreed to the business terms. We're now drafting the sublease document. Uh, so that way they're a little more prepared and will hopefully approve the deal faster whenever we actually give it to them. But as far as what else are they doing? I mean, there's not much they can do. Um, they can't tell us we can't do it. Uh, and, and, you know, honestly, landlords, for the most part, are generally cooperative when it comes to subleasing because they know if you're if their primary tenant doesn't need the space and they have it up on the sublease market, they know that when that lease expires, that tenant's not staying in the space. Period. Whereas a subtenant has may have some interest in staying in the space. Plus, you'd rather have an occupied building than an unoccupied building. Yeah, I mean, an unoccupied building looks really dead, especially mm-hmm. if it's on the first floor and you're walking by buildings that are spaces that have glass doors and it's just dark inside. It might affect the landlord's ability to lease other space in the building. Uh, perhaps you walk in and get a vibe and like, Mm-mm, this yeah. ain't it. Yeah, I mean that's true, and and some of the older buildings that are sort of the atrium buildings, mm-hmm. uh, where the you know it's just open all the way to the top. A lot of those uh, offices have glass doors, and you can see from one side to the next. And if you look around, that's that's kind of a drab it's kind an of Arby's thing. commercial. Well, you know, in, in retail, if a tenant space has been occupied and that tenant moves out, it's referred to as going dark. So that center has gone dark, meaning it's pretty much vacant. Lights are off. And in office, we don't use that term as much, but it's the same thing. You know, it's, you have a dark lobby. That's that's not a very inviting thing, mm-hmm. right? So if people decide, okay, I'm going to go back, occupy 75% or whatever's allowed at that particular day, is anyone going to pick up the cost for additional janitorial? I mean, are they wiping down their stations every day? And if so, who picks up that cost? The landlord's going to come in with heavier services or that's the tenant's responsibility or just take a candlelight cell and do your own desk. I mean, what are you seeing? You know, I'm actually not seeing because most of our clients are not actually operating in their space. So because they're not occupying the space, their space doesn't really need to be cleaned. Now, there's still the janitorial contract that the landlord has. The tenants are still paying for that through their operating expenses uh, or their base rent, however it's set up. So um, I have not heard of um, any clients saying that the landlord is cleaning their their actual office space differently. I do think that landlords are changing their procedures in the common areas. Uh, maybe being a little more um, diligent, having a, a what, what they call a day maid or a day porter, basically somebody there on the janitorial staff throughout the day, 
cleaning bathrooms, hallways, doors, handles. I went into an office building uh, last week, and um, and when I walked up to the front door of the building, there was a big sign that said, "Don't enter without a mask. You have to have a mask to enter this building." And uh, and so I went on into the building, and no big deal. I went to see somebody, and the, the office was closed, so I didn't get to see them. But um, but there were people coming and going in the building. I mean, I could see people coming and going, but I I didn't see a janitor walking around doing anything. At the, but I didn't stay there in the building. I was there five minutes, literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't I haven't seen a lot of evidence of people changing their procedures. Um, as far as how they clean the space throughout the day or even how they change their procedures at night. Uh, I suspect that is happening, but I think it's probably going to be a joint effort because the landlord has a set scope of work that they're sort of responsible for. Let's call it standard cleaning procedures, a building standard, Mm -hmm. just like they have building standard hours for operating or building standard temperature that they're expected to keep the space. Um, As soon as you deviate from that, any particular tenant wants to deviate for that, any incremental costs associated with achieving what their needs are. Let's say they have a, a big data center computer room and they have a supplemental air conditioning system that they want to be able to keep that um, data center cool at 70 degrees, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Well, that's not normal. That's not standard. Right. They have to pay the extra cost for that. If they need extra security, um, because like, for example, the... Uh, Let's say you have the State Bar of Texas as a tenant in a building, and they have hearings once a month for all these people that didn't get the settlements they were expecting, and they want to now file a complaint against their attorney. They do that through the State Bar of Texas. Well, the State Bar may say, hey, I need extra security on that day. Well, they should pay for that. So with cleaning, if if a tenant says, hey, I want to have extra cleaning, I want to have a person here throughout the day that's something they can provide or that may be something that they can just have the building arranged for through the the building's cleaning service. But like that sign that said, do not enter without a mask, that was clearly the landlord. That was. And and there was, that's a building that does have a security officer on staff throughout the day. Uh, I didn't see a security officer while I was there. Well, he was um, wearing a mask. You <laughs> couldn't tell a, it was him. He was plain, incognito. plain clothes, plain clothes. <laughs> Uh, but you know, how do you enforce all that? I mean, yeah. that's that's the problem. And and I always think it, it's for liability. We asked them to wear it. We can't force them, but we asked them. So. Yeah, and and you bring up a good point of liability, and that's really where the rubber meets the road in all this. Is that even if everybody in that company is comfortable coming in and conducting business as normal, you know, as soon as somebody gets sick because of this, mm-hmm. or God forbid, dies, yeah, then that's where it gets real. And, uh, and so is the company liable for it? Is the landlord liable for it? Um, you know, that's, that's where it's going to get hard. And, you know, I'm no insurance expert, so I can't really pontificate no on that. No one is right now. A lot of this COVID business interruption stuff is going to get settled in the courts and going forward policies will be written differently. So, it's- well, you know, and you kind of have to think about it. There's so many different, you know, viruses and bacterial things that can happen uh, if somebody gets the flu from a coworker at the office, mm-hmm. is that a workers' comp claim? Right. So, are we going to treat COVID differently than every other potential infection or disease or whatever you want to call it? Yeah. And and I think that's where it gets to be um, murky. So. So time to pull out the Riata crystal ball. Oh boy. 
what do you think will happen with the majority? There'll always be one-offs and this and that, but in the office market itself, what do you think this world will look like in 12 months? I think everything right now is a bit of a knee-jerk reaction. You know, we've told the story before. We've already had one client who said, you know, we're not going to keep an office. We're just going to all work from home. And they've already come back and said, well, we have people that do want to office, go to the office still, and we need a place to meet clients and to have company meetings. So we're going to still get an office, but it's going to be, you know, half or a third of the size of what we had intended. Well, we actually are rethinking that already because, you know, we've gone out and looked for other options and haven't really found the right thing. So now we're rethinking just staying where they are in the same amount of space they've had all along. And uh, so that's that's what I think is going to be happening for the next 12 months is that people are going to be vacillating back and forth between should I do this? Should I do that? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? And trying to figure out what they're going to do, pulling their employees to figure it out. But, you know, there's some jobs that can't really be done from home. Right. There's a there's a fair amount that has to have either have special to go to equipment. I to the salon to get my hair done. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're talking office space. Oh, that's right. <laughs> but um, a certain amount of things require special equipment or it requires certain oversight and supervision or a collaboration with people. Uh, so, you know, if you're in one of those kinds of jobs, I mean, ultimately – it's kind of a personal responsibility thing in my mind is if, if you're not comfortable going and doing that job anymore because you're going to be around people, it's your, your responsibility to say I'm out and therefore unemployed because I'm not willing to incur the perceived risk of doing that. Well, there might be things like I have an elderly mother living with me that I'm taking care of. I That's can't right. expose myself. I, you know, you never know what kind of pre-existing or outside influences people have, pre-existing conditions or outside influences that they are making their decision based on that, that you may be unaware of. Or they have a, a child that has some sort of comp sure. compromised immune system. I mean, there's all kinds of things. And you know what? You got to respect that. Absolutely. And some people are so bad off that they can't be, they couldn't do that before COVID. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, those kinds of outlier situations are going to always be around but, you know, the overall impact to office space over the next 12 to 24 months, at a minimum, in my opinion, is there's no new demand for new office space. So the demand for office space is um, uh, gauged or measured by what we call absorption. So absorption is just the change in square footage occupied from one period to another. So if you say that the first quarter of 2020 had absorption of 2 million square feet in DFW, that just means that 2 million square feet were leased and occupied um, more in that quarter than had been previously. So you went from, you know, 300 million square feet occupied to 302 million square feet. That's 2 million square feet of positive absorption. So you think it's going to remain flat? It's not going to go negative? I'm saying best case, it's going to be flat. Okay. Okay. Uh, but no, I think it's absolutely going to be negative absorption because just think about the, the subleases that have occurred with us. You know, we went from one sublease to four or five subleases. Mm -hmm. Well, if those subleases are still occupied, those spaces are still, quote, occupied, then that's not negative absorption yet because it's still occupied. But if a tenant moves out of a space, even though they still lease, lease it, they're still on the hook for the lease and they're having to pay the rent but the space is vacant, that's negative absorption. 
and I think there's going to be a lot of negative absorption. I think there's, I think negative absorption has already occurred, even if it hasn't actually been counted as such. Because, you know, for example, we have a client that put their space on the sublease market. I met them on Monday to take pictures of the space so we can create the marketing flyer. Well, all their stuff is still there. They're still paying the rent, but there's nobody there. And there hasn't been anybody there since mid-March. And there's not going to be anybody there from now on. So that's vacant space. That's negative absorption. Now, the the company that monitors all that, CoStar, hasn't probably counted it as that yet, but they will at some point. And so I think there'll be a bit of a delay in how much negative absorption is actually being reported as CoStar gets up to speed and gets clued into the fact that you know these are actually vacant spaces. But we do have other spaces that are on the sublease market that are still occupied and they still have an operating business in them with people coming to that space every day. That's not negative absorption yet. Right. Okay. That's a wrap on another episode of the Confessions of a Recovering Landlord podcast. At Riata Commercial Realty, we exclusively serve companies that lease or purchase office space. You can find us at texastenantrep.com or give us a call at 972-667-0028. And we'd really appreciate it if you go to Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to this and Give us a five-star rating. Leave us a review. That really helps other people find us and get this information. Again, find us at texastenantrep.com. See you next week. Bye. Oh, thank you.